how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Director Vaughn Stein knew he wanted to be a filmmaker while taking a class called From Hitchcock to Spielberg. After working on films like World War Z and Sherlock Holmes, Stein was soon writing a screenplay of very stylized characters for actors like Margot Robbie, Simon Pegg, and Mike Myers. Terminal follows two assassins with a sinister mission, a fatally ill teacher, a janitor, and a waitress with a double life. Murderous consequences unravel as their lives meet at the hands of a criminal mastermind wanting revenge. The writer-director said he wanted to explore his unhealthy obsession with sci-fi noir, dystopian cinema, and world-class literature. This means using the setting as an additional character, similar to films like Blade Runner, Seven, or Brazil. In this interview, Stein also describes his fascination with Alice in Wonderland, how to define characters through voice, the importance of discipline as a writer, and his best advice for first-time directors on set. I, I took a, a class, a general studies class uh, at school and had an amazingly sort of inspirational teacher who taught a module called From Hitchcock to Spielberg, which sort of, over the course of about 12 lessons, took you uh, through the history of Hollywood from, you know, sort of the, the great auteurs of the second half of the 20th century um, and I was uh, I was absolutely hooked to be honest from then on I'd always really enjoyed it as a kid but that sort of made me realize I wanted to do it practically so let's talk about your new film there's a lot of twists and turns in the film that we'll kind of we'll keep that a secret for the audience they can go see it for themselves but where did the original idea come from uh, it, it's a sort of unhealthy fusion of three passions of mine uh, I always loved film noir. I always loved the sort of evolution of noir into, you know, the neon noir, the, uh, the sci-fi noir, the hard-boiled noir. Uh, and I, I sort of wanted to combine that with the themes of dystopian cinema and literature, which was something that I'd always really enjoyed. Um, and I'd always had this idea of, of sort of infusing it with a, a graphic novel, kind of dark fairy tale aesthetic. I'd, I'd love the idea of sort of you know, a simple fable that sort of had that really colourful, lurid, heightened feel. And, um, you know, Terminal was the sort of unhealthy byproduct of those three things. They, uh, I, I really wanted to populate this sort of vast anonymous city that came out of it uh, with a very sort of noir sensibility of, within the characters that lived there. You know, the sort of the gang 
scarves and, and uh, damsels in distress that the noir archetypes give. So, yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was sort of uh, world first and then populating it with interesting characters that inspired me. The film is definitely visually striking. Some people have even compared it to, like, Terry Gilliam or someone like that, um, where the setting has its own character. How vivid does is this in your screenplay? What does that look like on the page? How much detail do you go into? Um, a lot, um, if only because I lack the intelligence to, uh, <laughs> to, to, if it's not down, to sort of build on it, you know, practically. Um, I do, I think it, it's, it's constantly alluded to within the script as, as very much its own character. There's a lot of sort of parenthetical description of, of the world, and I, I'm, I'm sort of uh, quite, <laughs> quite anally retentive in the specific, the specificity of my scripts. I really want them to make sense geographically and, you know, for, for, a, for a cast and crew to be able to really sort of, you know, understand it from the page to, the, um, to, to set. Um, I, I think in terms of the, uh, Gillian was a really great reference, actually. I think Brazil was a really big touch point for us. Um, I think when you, I was so blessed to have an amazing production designer called Richard Bullock and a cinematographer called Chris Ross, who are huge, passionate film fans, first and foremost. And, you know, we, we had a lot of very similar sort of film loves, things like Brazil, uh, Blade Runner, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, the works of Wong Kar Wai, and we sort of it became um, it became shorthand for us to describe pushing our budget as far as we could in order to achieve the artistic visions of the film. I've re- I've read some of these references in other interviews as well. Are, do you do anything on set like sh- actually show you know scenes from movies or steal images, things like that, to kind of you know put them in the correct world as you're preparing everything? Um, yes, in, in, we never sort of showed scenes, but we we would gather lookbooks and mood boards early on in, in prep, and also because on a practical level we had, um, you know, we moved to Budapest where we shot quite late in the process. We were wrecking London, um, and then sort of went to Budapest to have a look at creatively and financially. It made sense, and within <laughs> within half a day of being there, we're phoning around everyone in the UK saying, "Get on a plane, get out here." So. Um, yeah, they, they really helped in terms of the, the shorthand of, of, you know, being able to show, you know, stills, you know, uh, frame grabs and stills from, you know, films like, like Blade Runner, Fight Club, Seven, lots of, lots of our, our reference points, our palette points, as we used to call them, um, yeah, found their way into, uh, into what we were looking at on the set. So there's a lot of references to Alice in Wonderland throughout the film. I know a lot of those old stories have kind of been Disney-fied, but like you know, something like The Wizard of Oz is actually a lot darker. Um, how important was it for you to get that that story of Alice and 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 put that into this screenplay? Um, for me, vital. I, I you know I, I wanted to choose a story that I love. Firstly, um, you know I've I read the Alice books uh, when I was a kid, and I thought they were you know, bonkers, you know, just, just a great read and the, the sort of nonsensical appealed to me. But on a, on a practical level, um, you know, the, the iconography in Alice is so universal. It's so embedded in the collective consciousness. Everyone knows the White Rabbit, the March Hare, the, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of everything from uh, the hookah-smoking caterpillar to the Cheshire cat. These, these are sort of totemic things within society and to be able to give a universal global audience that 
that sense of the sort of the dark fairy tale of sort of being led down this in this twisted garden path. Um, I think that was very important to me. Also, I mean, Alice is a really interesting one because it's about a little girl that's being sort of terrorised by a perverse world. And what we wanted to do with Terminal was turn all of that on its head. This is about a perverse world who's being terrified by a little girl. So that sort of fairy tale element really seemed to fit beautifully into what we were trying to do with Terminal. The characters are all very unique as well. What is your writing process for writing dialogue and, and defining those characters through their voices? For, for me, it's it's having the confidence to know exactly what they sound like, and then I feel really, I feel very empowered when I sit down to to really write. You, you know, the, the the sort of dense dialogue scenes the terminal was built around. I, when when I conceived the world. And then when the characters, the third character to, to, to really spring, you know, fully formed into my mind was, was that of Annie, um, the, the sort of central female protagonist. And I, I knew, once I knew what that vast anonymous city was and what she was doing within it, the, the sort of labyrinthine story kind of fell into place relatively quickly around it. And in terms of the dialogue, I, I wanted to, to give it a sense of the... This was an old-fashioned and anachronistic world. You know, we drew on lots of periods and eras, and I wanted to do that with the dialogue. I, you know, I wanted to hear that sort of, you know, the sort of vaudeville double act of the bickering gangsters, the kind of rat-a-tat that that, that, that that they used to have on on stage in in you know like even you know kind of musical Laurel and Hardy. It's got its roots there, um, as well as that. I, you know, I, you know, I grew up in theatre. I'd always loved dialogue. I loved writing dialogue and knowing knowing these characters sort of inside out that gave me the confidence to kind of you know sit down and write these these very intimate well sometimes very intimate sometimes very sort of tense and and dramatic scenes from the perspectives of these sort of you know very heightened very stylized crazy characters what are some of the logistics of your writing process in terms of how you might storyboard or how long it took you to write the first draft uh, for me, I, I try and I have to be. I'm, I'm really ill-disciplined in life, so I have to be really disciplined with it. I, I try and um, I start once I have, uh, you know, the, the, a strong idea, something that I'm really, I'm really happy with, wherever that comes from. I, I try and flesh it out as soon as possible um, as a as a sort of treatment, as a treatment just for myself, really. Um, and I try and make sure that structurally it it it. It has everything I need um, to to get it, you know, to, to sit down and start confidently, you know, de- you know, fleshing that out and looking at looking at the details of characters, looking at the details of subplots, you know, everything that goes that goes into everything that goes into a sort of a, a detailed treatment. And then, as soon as I can, really, I I sit down and, and start writing. Um, I tend to I tend to write in the morning. Uh, I try and walk the dog so that he's utterly exhausted and my brain's clear and you know he won't be jumping all over me and then sort of you know sit down and and um, you know it will it will average itself out as long as you you know get in front of the computer and you and you get going it's it's the procrastination that always gets in my way if you know what I mean I, I need to I need to approach it from a sort of disciplined and organized perspective and I find the white noise I, I listen to uh you know, baby white noise um, when, when I work, you know, like babbling brooks or rivers, it really helps me block anything else out. 
So the movie is very stylish, obviously. A lot of the audiences haven't seen um, some of these characters before, especially, or even seen Mike Myers on screen in a while. Did you write any of these roles with certain actors in mind? No, I I didn't. I, I never, to be totally honest with you, but never in my wildest dreams would thought we would, uh, we would secure such an unbelievable cast. I mean, I, I wrote it... Um, I write with faces in mind. Uh, they, they weren't specific faces. I just, I, you know, people that that I thought uh, who who had that aesthetic that looked that looked like the characters. But you know, to have such a world class cast show interest in the script and take this huge plunge to come to Budapest and work with a first time writer director was just unbelievable. It's an absolute dream come true. It all it all really started, you know, gaining amazing sort of critical critical mass when um, when Margot came on board we we met socially Tom Tom Ackley and Josie McNamara who were her producing partners were really good friends of mine we were assistant directors together we, we were running around making tea and coffee in the British film industry six or seven years ago and um, I had been speaking to them about doing something um, and I'd met uh, at the time they were actually living with Mark so I'd met her socially and um, she she found the script on her kitchen worktop and started reading it um, and was hooked. We we sat down a couple of weeks later um, and she said, look, I'm in, I want to do it. And we started working on the script with her production company who were incredible in developing and enhancing it. And um, And we started casting about eight months after that. And it was just an absolute dream come true. I mean, we cast, Max Irons came on board first, which... He's an incredible actor and just a wonderfully nice guy. And then um, Simon Pegg uh, was the next person that we approached for Bill uh, and caught him at a really zeitgeisty moment. He was just in between uh, Mission uh, Mission Impossible and Ready Player One and had a little break and wanted to do something different, wanted to do something indie. And, you know, it was just an honor working with him. He, he was uh, an astonishing, astonishing performance from him. Uh, and then Mike, Mike was uh, the penultimate person we cast. We wanted to find a character actor. We wanted to find someone unique and brilliant. And I think it was uh, it was Margot's initial idea. She said, "What about Mike?" And we sort of looked at each other and smiled and thought, oh, "Well, we'll give it a try." He doesn't do anything anymore. And he phoned me a couple of days later, and just we had a four-hour conversation. And he said, "I love it. I'm in." Like you know, and he he took his character and elevated it beyond anything I could possibly imagine. Um, it was incredible, and then we had the amazing, amazing good fortune to uh, to catch Dexter at a good moment, um, and he came on board last for Vince, and he just turns in the most hilarious and brilliant performance. He's a, he's a wonderful guy, and and such a you know such a an asset to a first time director to have a seasoned professional like to to lean on and ask advice. Well, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed the film. Is there anything else you want to say about the movie or anything else you can tell us about something you may have learned as a first-time director? Just to, to, be, to be as clear and as concise in, in communicating with the cast and crew as possible and to, to really listen to the ideas that are, that are coming around you. You know, you know there are most, of, most of the cast and crew tend to be way better at their jobs than you are, so just to listen to what they're saying to, to sort of you know, help steer the vision of the film and cherry pick the best ideas that suit that vision is um is something that i learned and definitely make sure you shoot your inserts and your and your cutaways because they're going to be so important in the edit <laughs> thank you so much for tuning into the show 
before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.